One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 21, season 2 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I'm here in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hey, hello! And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hey everybody. All right, so uh, Aaron, you want to jump in and start talking about Swift? Swift? Take it away. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone, and Happy to day. all of you guys. It's so great to be back. Uh, let's complain. That's what we do best about, right? Mm. Um, any of you guys use Swift? Yes. Yes. A little bit. A little bit. I mean? Not in production, but I've tried it out a bit. Okay. okay. Yeah. Swift is awesome. Uh, I think oh. it's going to be a great language. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, as a language, I think it's uh, it's really interesting. Like I've got, I've got niggles. You know, I'm a little concerned about the whole optionals and the um, mm-hmm. the generics and all that stuff. The, the stuff in the in the the back twenty percent of the Swift manual, um, you know, maybe scares me just a little bit. But you know, mm-hmm. on the whole, I think it looks like a really great language, and it's, it feels modern. Um, and I, I really like the look of it. I've I've picked it up. I think pretty well. I feel very comfortable in it. And on the whole, I've had good feelings about Swift. But, but, but okay, you knew I was going to say that. Yeah, I did. So here, here's the thing. Um, just this last week, I started a new uh, role, uh, a new contract. And it's for an app that has been on the store for uh, just over a year now. And mm-hmm. it's been worked on by a team of developers. And it is fairly sizable. Pretty large app. Um, sometime in July or August of, of 2014, last year, the developers, or a number of them, started programming the app in Swift. As you know, you can mix Swift and Objective-C together. So yeah. what we had was a very large application already. And then they decided to have a, a cutoff point where after that, everything they wrote was in Swift. And so when I came into the project, I was starting to work on a, a new component that had already been, the work had already been begun on, and it was all in Swift. And mm-hmm. so I was put in the position of having to write Swift in production code in an Xcode project that was already quite sizable, um, some 500 source code files, about 50 Swift files. It's about the, mm-hmm. the proportions that we're talking about here. So, um, at first I was pretty excited, uh, for all the reasons I've said, this is a pretty interesting new language and it's looking really good. Um, but when I got working on it, I found a couple, two actually very serious, serious problems with it. Um, and the first, I think everybody knows about already. And I just think it's probably worth mentioning, um, the fact that debugging is really, really difficult 
um, with Swift in Xcode. Um, mm -hmm. Something that I think all of you have, have mentioned before when you've worked with it. And I know everybody out on the internet does as well. The fact that you can uh, try to put a breakpoint somewhere and when you arrive at the breakpoint, there are no variables on display in the variable viewer. What do you call that thing in the Xcode in the top, bottom left corner? Stack trace? Uh, the stack trace? No, no, that, that would be if you had a crash, right? On the right side in the console. But on the left side, <laughs> you've got the list of the variables at the breakpoint where you've stopped. You know that thing, I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, frame variables. You know, yeah, you, you arrive there with a breakpoint to say, okay, well, here I am. This is where I think the problem is. I'm going to look at what the state of the variables are. And there's nothing there empty it's mind-boggling and then of course another more common issue is um, you'll have a crash and nine times out of ten uh, it puts the um, the breakpoint if you want to call it that at that point uh, in the in the main dot swift file or whatever it's called um, nowhere inside your actual code and you just have no way of knowing except, you know, by guessing and putting print lines all over the place where, where the crash actually occurred. It makes debugging so difficult. So that's sort of one issue. Are you guys familiar with that one? I can't say that I totally am, but I've written a few things in Swift, like native Swift stuff. But... So the other, the other problem, <laughs> I think, um, is a little more insidious because I don't think it really rears its head until you get to a project of this size. Um, so whenever I talk to anybody else about it, they're like, well, you know, I've, I've worked with Swift and I've never seen this before. Um, and I think it's because um, it's, it's been working, you know, people have been working on it in the playgrounds or, or in, you know, small, very uh, uh, well-defined projects. So in this case, um, the huge problem that I found, found it very difficult to work with was compile time. Uh, I'd make a change to a single line of code in Swift, and Xcode would throw out everything and rebuild the entire project from scratch. Hmm. Um, if I wanted to move a, a, a label, you know, five pixels over, and then see the result in the simulator, I, I've got to wait two minutes for the thing to recompile and build and run. And Actually, I've seen exactly the same thing maddening. with Objective-C. I don't oh, really? think that's a Swift issue. Yeah. Uh, compiling storyboards in Xcode 6, if it's a large storyboard, is ridiculously slow. Uh, so okay. I, I, anyway, I don't think that's a Swift thing, but anyway. I, I think it is a Swift thing, and I could actually I could watch it because you can go into Xcode and uh, watch the individual files compiling. Mm -hmm. um, that's a Command 7, I believe. Uh, the, you know, the list of uh, left column... Uh, little widgets there and shows the, the the build progress as it goes. And you can see as it's going through the Swift files, it takes a really long time to go through them, and then it blows through the Objective-C ones. Um, and yeah, I can see the storyboards. There's there's actually over 20 storyboards in this project. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, they, they do take a little time, but um, I think it's interesting that they actually have to be all rebuilt. Like every time you hit Command R, you're basically recompiling that stuff every single time. Um, so, okay, Mark, I, I, I saw that. <laughs> and then um, it was so bad that I actually talked to my client into letting me um, rewrite uh, four of these view controllers that were written in Swift back into Objective-C. Um, mm -hmm. just, just to, you know, sort of make sure we were in a known good configuration, allow me to proceed um, more efficiently, I guess. And and he was aware of these issues too, by the way. So it wasn't like me going and, you know, trying to make a case for this because uh, he was seeing the same thing. Um, so after I did that change, um, any change I made in the Objective-C file that had been converted from Swift compiled like that. Um, no, no time at all. And it wasn't having to throw out the entire build and recompile everything every single time either. So make of it what you will, but I've, I've found in this experience that, um, you know, I guess it's no surprise that Swift, uh, the, the tools just to work with Swift need a lot of work still. Mm -hmm. Mark, mm -hmm. you mentioned a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, um, 
that you noticed some stuff in Xcode 6 that had to do with storyboard yeah. issues slowing down, right? Yeah. By the way, Aaron, I wasn't talking – when I said it was not a Swift thing, I wasn't talking about compiling the Swift. I was talking specifically about the storyboard. Uh, and this is this is something I can I can clearly reproduce. I mean if you have a storyboard that has you know 30 or 40 scenes in it uh, – Oh, then, we did talk about this. Yeah, we talked yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, the, the compile time – First of all, the compile time is very slow. Uh, but what I was referring to a couple of weeks ago is a, is a completely different issue that's also pretty annoying, that if you have multiple monitors, yeah, which I do all the time, I use a, a laptop yeah. with, a, with a Thunderbolt display, that's my normal usage. Uh, if you have Xcode running uh, and the – let me make sure I phrase this right. The, the main window – according to your system preferences displays, is your laptop. Then if you try to run Xcode with a storyboard on the external monitor, mm-hmm. it's extremely slow. If you have mm-hmm. Xcode running or the storyboard open on your laptop, it's normal. And I can even I've even been able to confirm that if you switch in system preferences the main uh, display, in other words, you have the, the menu bar up at the top of the external monitor in system preferences, Yeah. then the problem switches. It goes away. So whatever oh, okay, the, the main display yeah. is, you can run storyboards fine on, as far as I can mm-hmm. tell. But if you try to run a storyboard on the other monitor, it's a mess. Hmm. This is Wow, very that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's bizarre, but... Well, I've heard people complaining on some of the groups that I belong to that about issues with storyboard. Um, mm-hmm. hmm. So I'm actually interested, Aaron. You said you run, run multiple storyboards, or do you mean multiple multiple views within a storyboard on your on this app you're working on? Multiple storyboards. And how do they how do they transition between each each storyboard? Uh, well, you know, you can do that by uh, calling or creating a a variable to a, a new storyboard. Uh, there's mm-hmm. UI storyboard, storyboard with identifier, or storyboard okay. with name from nib. That's what it is. Um, and then you can instantiate a view controller out of that storyboard. Yeah, you just can't Ooh. use segues yeah. to transition from one storyboard to the next storyboard. Right. No. Right. That's yeah. what you lose. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Ooh. there's a bunch of, obviously, a whack mm-hmm. of zips in there, too, for different things. Um, it's a big file. Mm-hmm. It's a big project. So. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, my experience with Swift is I just went through, um, as you know, I write for wearywonderlick.com and, and they made the decision a while ago to go all Swift, right? Um, so all of our apps have to be written in Swift. And uh, I had, you know, transitioning over to it was difficult when I when I first wrote the, the application that I was going to write my article on. I actually wrote it in Objective-C first just to go through, you know, what I know works, <laughs> You know, and then I went and did it. I did the same app in Swift, and and it was just learning, you know, how to call things. And, and it's not a very deep app. It's only got like you know, uh, one view controller that does multiple things. But um, uh, and and if you listen to the Ray Wonderlick, uh, if you go to the Ray Wonderlick site, we all did a song based on um, Source Kit crashing all the time, which is lots of fun. Um, but I haven't really, I hadn't really experienced that kind of problems with with trying to debug the app as I went through. But then, like I said, it's a small app. Maybe that's part of the issue is is the size of the app you're working on, right? I suspect that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And are you are you the single iOS guy on that, or are you working with a bunch of other people? Like, are you taking part of the app and somebody else is working on something else? And um, you know, I'm I'm still not 100 percent clear on that. I I suspect that I am the only full time developer on the project okay. now. Okay. Right. 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 Well, congratulations on the new gig. Thank you. <laughs> I am pleased. Yes. Um, yes. You know, it's it's worth saying the reason that we're talking about this uh, overtly, uh, aside from giving me an opportunity to do what I do best. Bitch, bitch, mm-hmm. bitch, bitch, bitch. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you, or Jaime rather, uh, has has provided a link to Dan Jalkut's concerns about going to Swift. Yeah, I heard this too, actually. I listened to it the other day as well. Jaime, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, so that was, uh, wow, that was a while ago. So that was Core Intuition, it looks like episode 167. Um, and Daniel was talking about um, some of the trepidation he has around you know going whole hog into into swift and i think some of that uh, of course is related to at least what i seem to be hearing here where there's 
um, some tools immaturity, right? That tools that were functioning quite fine with Objective-C are, are not to the same level of maturity for, for Swift. Um, piled on top of that is probably also other general software development problems over at the big fruit company. Um, mm -hmm. But in, in this other case, Daniel Jaukit was talking about the fact that um, since he's he's been in the Apple ecosystem for so long, this isn't the first time where something new has come up where right. it looked like it was the new hotness. And then here we are, like nobody even knows that you can do that anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember the, some of the specifics that they asked. Open about, Doc, but... Rhapsody. He was talking about the Open Doc and a bunch of other things like that that were pre in the classic days. Yeah. So like even, you know, creating Mac apps using Java, right? Which was, mm -hmm. would be mind blowing yeah, right. nowadays. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> Did he mention, uh, I remember there was one example that he mentioned and I'm not sure if it was him actually. That's what I want to check with you. Um, garbage collection. Did he mention yes, garbage collection as a technology think, then? I think both he and somebody from ATP, um, accidental tech podcast mentioned garbage collection in, in objective C, I think was, uh, Right. I think, like, I I think, think more than one podcast that I listened to in the past week or so. It, it, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. So many. Ours is the best mind, but the, <laughs> I think that's the most recent example of an Apple technology that failed. The whole point here is that that, that was a technology that Apple introduced in, you know, fairly recent history. Um, and which developers then jumped all over, not everyone, obviously, but you know, many did obviously. And, um, that turned out to be a really big mistake. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, don't, so, I don't know. I mean, uh, that's not something. Garbage collection was not something that Apple invented, right? I mean, that was no. That was a. Well, you mean the concept thing. or the implementation in Cocoa? The, the concept, right? Obviously. And, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so the fact that Apple rolled this out because it was meeting industry standards for other languages, and then came up with something better, I, yeah. I don't see that in the same way as as uh, as you know, if if and when. Swift fits. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I'm not saying well, I guess, well. I'm just know, saying that. Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. No, no, yeah. obviously. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like Apple went on stage at WWC one year recently and said, you know, we've got this new thing. It's called garbage collection. You should convert all your apps to garbage collection. Right. Um, and then so for the developers who did that, you know, they they paid a price. You'd have to admit, right? When Apple later came out and said, you know, that garbage collection, just forget about that. Uh, now we've got this thing called Arc, and you can just go ahead and use that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the way forward now. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you, too, is uh, having worked with Swift over the last three or four months, it's changed a couple of times, too. And and between incremental releases of Xcode, they they changed the way that, that optionals are, are called and unwrapped and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. So... And that, that caught people, it was, you know, of course that was a minor fix, but that's an indication of not so again, somebody making a decision and then somebody coming along and saying, no, there's a better way to do that later on for some reason. One thing, the rest of us. yeah. One thing I'm not really clear on, um, is whether Swift is officially in beta or not right now. Mm. Like when I see Apple talk about it, it's like it's Swift 1.0, mm -hmm. but I don't see any mention of it being in beta. Now I remember during the actual beta phase it was, but if they are, if they're thinking of this as a general release, then um, shame on them. <laughs> Cause I don't think it is. So sh shame on them. So shame on them for not having like an, a, a specific flag on it, like beta that says, yes, the here be dragons. If you go this way. Yes. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. That's yeah, what I, I think they should have. I could see that because they could be, I think, a bit more forthcoming or forthright, perhaps, in, in how they're presenting it. Because it's, I think, 1.0 is when iOS 8 came out in September. I think that's, that's my when understanding. They, they, Swift went to officially 1.0. But in any yeah. case, like two weeks later, there was a huge 1.1 or 1.01 change. It, it might have been optionals for all I remember. Uh, that like completely changes everything, right? I mean, it was just like a huge fundamental change to how the you know, the language works. Yeah, I just confirmed it's 1.1 .1 right now. Okay. So. Um, so I guess kind of my thoughts here on, on, on this though, trying to relate it back to the core intuition piece. So I think the garbage collection thing is a little bit different than Swift, right? Cause it's, 
it's sort of like a, an implementation change for an existing language. It didn't add, you know, tons of new constructs. It wasn't a completely different language. And I think going back to sort of like the days when Java was the quote unquote new way to create Mac apps, that mm -hmm. one was done from a position of weakness, right? Which is not the case now with Apple. Apple's in a position of strength and is, you know, it, it doesn't have to rely on somebody else to do that piece like they were having to do with Sun Microsystems at the time. And with Swift, I think um, Apple has shown that it's not just like, oh, hey, here's this thing we created and, and we're done. And then maybe they kind of forget about it. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Whatever. We fired that guy who, who did that. Let's go get a whole new team to do something different. This one <laughs> seems like they're funny. working <laughs> much more closely with, you know, the development community to say, oh, like this isn't working out in the real world. Okay, great. We're going to fix it in the next version of that. Yeah. I, you know, for the record, I, I totally don't think that's going to happen. I'm sure Apple is fully committed to Swift and it's, it's here to stay. Absolutely. Um, and I think those, those of us whom I've spoken to about this have said, you know, this, this is early days. They're going to be growing pains. And I agree a hundred percent. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see for something like uh, Ray Wunderlich, the, uh, the thing that you do, Tim. I mean, that, that's mm -hmm. primarily an educational site, right? And, exactly, and yeah. it's teaching, yeah. and it's in its small, you know, self-contained projects, things like that. It makes perfect sense for that. But I, I can't see myself ever using a brand new technology for that, like that, for something that my livelihood or somebody else's livelihood depended on. Uh, yeah within the first year of it, of it being released. I mean, to me, that just seems like a huge risk. Yeah. Well, um, and, and to be honest with you, yeah. I still, as, as you know, I teach iOS and, and uh, I start off with Objective-C and C, right? And, and we go through it and we, because we, I mean, the reality is if a developer is going to get a job or especially a new developer is going to get a job out there, they're going to need to know Objective-C. They need to know what the existing code base is, right? I think for, you know, didactic purposes, um, if you're Ray Wonderlich, I think it makes sense for them. I, I don't sure. think that's necessarily a bad decision. Um, yeah. You know, you, if you go to Apple's, you know, they're, they're the, the horse's mouth. <laughs> um, you know, even as we were talking, I'm going to this, I'm at the Swift website. Swift mm -hmm. 1.1 is final and you can build and submit your iOS apps written with Swift to the App Store today. And that's, you know, everything's honky-dory over here. Uh, yeah, just yeah. make sure you don't build anything too complex. Well, I do know that, like Greg Eo over at RayWonderlich.com, Ray he's a developer here from Toronto. He's a member of Taco as well. He's actually built a few pure Swift apps, and, and they're on the App Store now. Um, and Neil North is the guy that was just answering the question for me from Queensland, Australia, and he's, he's worked quite a bit in Swift as well. So it's there are people out there who, who are working exclusively in Swift. Yeah, and that's good for them, and I think it's great. But I, I, I think I'm, I'm with Mark on this one. Don't rely on it for a production application on which you're – uh, livelihood depends. Yeah, no, I, I again, I, like I said, I totally agree that that I think there's a, there's a a lot to be said for a mix of of the two right now. I haven't put any Swift in any of my own production apps yet, so and, I, and, I don't plan to. At this point, I would not. You know, like I'm I'm waiting for like the 1.5 release uh, with you know Xcode 6.5 or something, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, some point release or even the next major release of both at WWDC next year, where they say, oh yeah, guys, we've totally fix the build tools. It's way better now. And then, okay, now let's talk about using this in production. <laughs> but if I don't hear that from Apple, then I'm just going to sit back and keep using Objective-C. Yeah. Yep. Brackets so forever, saying, baby. What you're saying is we need a Snow Swift release. Yeah. All right. So what else are we going to talk about today? Um, no, um, like this Marco thing, right? Oh, yeah. Why don't you tell, well, tell us what okay. you know that? <laughs> Some of us don't know what happened, so fill us in. Okay. Marco, um, two days ago now, wrote a blog piece wherein he essentially outlined everything that we've been talking about on this podcast since its inception, um, mm -hmm. about how Apple is uh, doing a poor job in software. Um, and if, if you've been listening to our show for any length of time, uh, you know exactly what's inside this blog post. There's nothing new. Um, the only thing that's really new is the reaction his blog post got. It's as right. if the, the floodgates opened and everybody who had been thinking about this or had talked about it all chimed in to say, yes, you know, you're exactly right. It's, this is what's happening. And so what's happening? In short, um, 
we're all noticing the people that use technology that use um, Apple stuff has been seeing how the software is deteriorating in quality um, over time. So the, the, the longer you use this stuff, the more bugs you see, um, and it's it's piling up. You know, it's as as one person that Marco quoted said, it's like it's death from a thousand cuts. Just a little little thing mm-hmm. here and there that just undermines your um, your credibility as a software developer. Um, in this case, Apple. You know, when they keep shipping these bugs. And we see it all the time, you know, like I think one of my favorite examples is AirDrop, um, something that we were already looking forward to uh, working between Mac and iOS. And mm-hmm. frankly, I think this is pretty much everyone's experience hardly ever works reliably. I don't know. I, 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 okay, I, so there's I, always going to be someone. Here we go. <laughs> no, no. I, well, so, yeah, and my point is is that, that I've, I've seen the, the posts from people about AirDrop not working, and, and, and to be honest with you, I have not had a problem with it in the classroom settings and in, and in my own experience trying to move things from one place to another. Yeah, I've seen some weird things happening in Yosemite and in iOS 8, but then I saw weird things happening in System 7 and System 8 and System 9 and OS 10 and all of all the various flavors of that. There's There's... There's always going to be some bugs and some things that just don't work everywhere. I agree. I think there's just there's just more people talking more loudly about it this time. Yeah. Because Apple's yeah. a bigger company and a bigger target. I don't think it's any any different than it's ever been. And it's easier to get it's easier to get your thoughts out there and, and, and have a discussion about it, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the fact that I can talk to people around the world about this stuff and, and get help from around the world. I mean, Jaime also posted something that I put on Stack Overflow the other day, and it was solved for me by working with uh, another developer in in um, Malaysia. You know, he he went on the on his version of Google and found stuff that I couldn't find. You know, and within an hour we had the problem solved. It feels like, you know, what we're talking about here are, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Frustrating? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, here, let, let me let, let me interject with this, because let, let me interject with just for a minute then, so and just talk about my, my post to Stack Overflow. I've been working with Xcode and Yosemite since they came out. I had issues with, with Mavericks, and so I got into X, uh, Yosemite earlier than I normally would have. But it solved the problem for me and that I was having with Mavericks. I couldn't, you know, open folders and, and see what was in them for hours. Um, but as soon as I did that, after I found with Xcode six, after a period, certain period of time, I could, st- I could, if I plugged in an iOS device into my Mac, it couldn't be recognized by by the Mac. It could, like, iTunes wouldn't see it, Xcode wouldn't see it. So I was trying to build an app, writing a tutorial for an app that has to run on a device, and so it was super frustrating. And the only way around it was to reboot my Mac, right? And I, so I did this dutifully, and I went to all the polls, and I put things up on Twitter, and, and nobody it was getting, wasn't getting any bites from anybody that's about what this problem was, right? And one evening I was online with some, uh, in a chat room, and I basically posted that I was having this problem, and I posted it. I said, I give up. I've, I've put this up on Stack Overflow. If anybody can help me out, it'd be great. And like I said, the other developer uh, – went on his on Google from Malaysia and he found um, what the issue was. And I'll tell you what it is in a second. Anyway, what it is, is there's uh, a permissions issue in, in a folder that registers whether or not you've said you trust a device or not. Right. And I can tell you, this isn't the first time I've seen per- permission issues from between one OS and another. And when I went into this folder, I saw like 40 UDIDs for all the devices that I've plugged into my Mac and done de- development on, you know, own number of phones and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure you guys have too. And um, when I find the folder, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. You can you can look it up in your terminal yourself. And so the first solution was to empty out that folder. And that solved the, the initial problem. But after a couple of hours, the problem would come back again. And it turns out there's a service that you need to turn off or to, to reload. And again, this is an example of somebody at apple dropping a ball in my opinion right because it's it was super frustrating to get it solved what it is is um it's a usb mux d demon or a usb mux demon that's um gets verklempt and then all of a sudden it can't you can't you know get your your devices connected so restarting my computer was absolutely the wrong solution we're working on a unix system i should never have to restart my computer right the word I was looking for was subjective before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So I said, help me with my mux problem. It, see, that's just it is that everybody <laughs> has a whack of problems. Sure. Yeah. And 
I, you know, I've, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, Tim, when, you know, on the mm-hmm. show, uh, that very issue. And I saw it once myself, but not more than once. Thankfully. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've all got little problems that crop up for us, uh, to one extent or another. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the flurry of columns that came after Marco's piece from all these other people that were chiming in, um, yeah. on both sides, really people like Mark who are saying, you know, it's always been this way. So suck it up. And then people who are saying, you know what? I feel like it's, it has been more than, than it, than it should be really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and getting in- increasingly worse. Um, and they'll cite, particular bugs, some of which I've never experienced and some of which I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I actually stopped every time I encountered one and wrote it down, I think I would have a much longer list today than if I had done the same thing two years ago. Right, right. Yeah. That's, I think that's what's really coming out here is the fact that, you know, we're not, we're not documenting this. We're not tracking it scientifically. We just have this growing sense of um, of the number of defects being somewhat out of control these days from Apple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it might be worthwhile to well, bring this to Apple's attention if they don't already know it. How couldn't they? Um, but, you know, to make sure that people are aware of this so that, you know, the, the louder the noise, the more likely it'll be fixed, I think. I hope. Well, I, I do know that I, I, was, uh, I wasn't speaking directly to the person who manages the team that reads the, the radars. But they do read the radars, you know. So, so if people they are, do if definitely read the radars, yes, yeah, yeah, and they and they they are aware of them. So, if people are are having issues with developers specifically are having issues with with um, with things that they're finding, they should file radars. And and every time I have an app that crashes, and and uh, you know, I'm offered to send a report to the developer or whoever it is that reads them on the other end. I say sure and fire it off to them. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. Yeah, because I mean, as as a developer, I know that you know when you want to go back in and, and see if you're having an issue with a with an app, you if it's, if somebody posts a crash log to you, it's great because then you can go back in and see where where it's having an issue that maybe something you hadn't thought about, right? And that's fine, you know, that's great. Um, I want to like address also the the concern or the, the doubt that this only matters to developers or people that listen to shows like ours or read blogs, like the kind mm-hmm. that have been talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the really important point is that um, normal people are being affected by these issues. You know, yeah. they may not be taking to their blogs to talk about them, but mm-hmm. you know, every time uh, an iOS 8.0.1 comes out that craps out their phone, mm-hmm. um, you know, millions of people are going to be affected by that. And then, you know, feel a little gun shy the next time a similar update comes out. And, you know, Apple's whole business, like we talked about before, it's brand really is, is to be a quality purveyor of software so that people will rush to upgrade because they're looking forward to the, the new features that come with every new iOS update or OS 10 update. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. anytime that you get defects, like what we're seeing that are accumulating, you know, subjectively or objectively, um, Mm -hmm. then it contributes to that, to slowing down that adoption rate, which as developers, we do very much care about. Well, that's true. I I must, I have to ask a question to the group though, because I'm, I'm not one of these people, but are you a person that rushes out and installs the latest updates when things come out? Or, or do you think this is a production machine? I'm not going to jeopardize it. I don't rush. I, I I don't, depending on on the kind of change it is, if it's a, if it's a minor bug fix release, I'll give it two uh-huh. days. If it's a <laughs> so if it's a dot o dot one, but if I'm it's a dot one, I'll I'll wait um, a week. And if it's a yeah. full brand new version of iOS, um, yeah. I'll wait you know two weeks in, in some of the worst cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let everybody else you know be the guinea pigs on that. Um, well, I still have a I still have a machine here in in, in the office that's that's running uh, Mavericks. I just because I just haven't got around to to updating it right and and so like you know in the case of the us muck usb mux uh demon issue i was having that's not an issue that's endemic to developers that that could happen to anybody who plugs their phone into the device just to sync it right or to download a photo or to you know back up their apps or whatever update ios 8 because they don't have enough room on their device exactly well yeah did you hear there's a class action lawsuit about the space (laughs) on devices (laughs) yeah that was a funny one (laughs) get out of town yeah, yeah. You know, I do think that there's a couple of things here that that come to mind, and one is I'm not sure 
and it would be nice to do it scientifically, but I'm not sure if things are happening more often that these problems are occurring or if I'm just becoming more sensitive to them because they're in, in these certain spots that I'm likely to hit. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's like your phone ringing, well, <laughs> right. But I mean, like there, there have been some mind blowing, like how the heck did that one get through QA kind of, yeah. of problems. Yeah. Um, but there's also been some other ones that are like, um, yeah, you know, if I just heard about that one and I didn't have the mind blowing problem already fresh in my mind, maybe I wouldn't have even have cared too much. That like some right, right. some USB dongle doesn't work under some specific version of Yosemite. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have things like, oh, every time I save a file, this file saving menu gets longer and longer. I'm, I'm yeah, going to make sure to clear out that property. Otherwise, it's going to yeah, go off the screen. that's happening for me. <laughs> oh, is there a property to do that? If you hold the shift key down, you can resize the window. If you click, grab the side of it. Right. The, but yeah, is there a property that's setting that? Do you know? Uh, I, I read some blog post that there's there's something you can. I don't know if there's a permanent way to make sure that it's fixed, but like it gets out of whack, and you can yeah. uh, you can reset. Well, my favorite app in the whole wide world is BB Edit, and and uh, the current version eleven has that issue. Um, that if you if you open more and more documents and more, and I use it all the time. So what happens is the save menu goes below the window, and you can't get to the button just to hit save, and then. Uh, but I found later on that, that if you hold the shift key down and pull from the side, again, this is what we're talking about, Aaron. <laughs> if yep. you pull the pull the shift key for, or hold the shift key down and grab the side of the window and try to move it, it actually brings the bottom of the window up with it, which is totally bizarre. And like today, I have to announce after a, after a month of waiting, my phone is actually making noises when a new mail arrives. Like these are the, it, so that's the kind of thing that would affect an end user. I have to say, like, you know, if I, if I, you know, and I've done everything, I've gone into notifications and I've gone into sounds and the, and the thing. And, and I, I was this close to erasing my phone and reinstalling it. Like, but and all of a sudden it just started working. So go figure. Yeah. That one's a weird one. I don't, I don't really know what was happening there. With uh, the phone sound. Yeah. Like I, on the rare occasion that I've run into anything even vaguely like that, a, a restart of the phone seems to make it go away. Yeah, well, it, it turns out what, what's interesting is, and when it started, I forgot what I did, and I wish I could remember now what I what I had actually done to get it to make a sound, right? Um, and then, but when in trying to figure it out, because normally in, in the older versions of OS, iOS, you would go into sounds and you would you know go to mail and you would choose which sound you wanted. But now in notifications, you can have a different sound for each account. So I'm not sure, you know, so it's a kind of a conflict between which one is controlling it, is it, and, and is it because I use the do not disturb feature all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That, that somehow is getting every, everything, all, you know, like too many settings are being set to US user defaults or whatever, it's, wherever these things are being stored, you know, and, um, and they're conflicting and you're getting double negatives and therefore you have no sound and that kind of stuff. Right? Do you ever use uh, rotation uh, lock on your phone? I don't, but but I get get called from people all the time who get stuck with that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is something that I've gotten a lot of customer reports about on some of my audio apps is that uh, people get really confused with the switch on the side because it it has potentially two different functionalities, right? It can be either the mute switch or it can be the rotation lock switch, especially on the iPad. Uh, And if you set one in settings and then flip that switch and then set it to something else, then the only way to get it back from unmute mode is actually go to settings. The switch doesn't work anymore. Uh, and, and that's, I can't tell you how many support requests I've gotten for that. Uh, but it's not, I mean, it's not really a bug. That's the intended functionality, but, but uh, just, it's just a confusing thing. So yeah, I, I just want to go back to what Jaime was saying about, about the, the selection bias. I, I think the selection bias is real. Uh, you notice these things a lot more now, and not not to say that these problems aren't real, and they are real, and they're affecting a lot of people, but I mm-hmm. think you notice them more because, as I said, you're sensitized to them. I mean, I remember back in the day, you guys probably remember there was a website called Mac Fix It, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I used to I used to go to that website every single day, pretty much to check out. Oh, what's broken now? What's <laughs> what do I have to what do I have to watch out for? Uh, and it was even, I mean, it was even, you know, it was sort of a challenge. If you found a bug and, and put it in there, he would sometimes put you on there and put your name on it. It was, a, it was kind of oh. a, a cool thing. Um, right. But, you know, back then, that was the only game in town. There was only this one site that was talking about the problems. But there were lots of problems. Now, 
and this is you know this is probably the late nineties I'm talking about when there weren't as many people using Apple devices as there were as are now, but now mm-hmm. there's you know hundreds of these blogs and and lots and lots of press looking just looking for things to attack Apple on because yeah, it, because yeah. it's it's link bait right and and I'm not mm-hmm. saying absolutely Marco wasn't doing that but he was a victim of it of the people who were who were uh, you know uh, writing about his his uh, post. I think when there's just so much in the press, so many people talking about it and making a big deal out of things that, yeah, in some cases are are real, in some cases maybe aren't so real. I mean, it's, uh, who knows? You know, antenna gate, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You're just so sensitized to it. That, well, anytime something happens, that you're you're just not not anyone in particular, but people are are remembering all the things that have gone wrong. Whereas mm-hmm. if if they still had the image in their head that it just works, which it should, don't get me wrong, it should. But if you still had that image in your head, then some of these little things you might not even notice were happening. But they've always yeah. been there. Yeah. Well, so you can have... certainly think back to the days of uh, iOS 7 and – or sorry, <laughs> System 7. System and, 7, yeah. And, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, where <laughs> – uh, you know, the computer barely worked, right? Right, mm, <laughs> right. You know, um, applications writing all over each other's memory and crashing in spectacular ways. Yeah. Um, they're dramatically more reliable now. We get that. Um, it yeah. just, it feels like lately it's been worse. And maybe you're right, Mark. Maybe it's just not as bad as we're making it out to be. Um, it just doesn't feel that way, but um, it's quite possible. I mean, remember when Xcode 4 came out? It was a huge yeah. change from Xcode 3. Remember all yeah. the issues people were having with Xcode 4? It just didn't work. It crashed. It broke. Blah, blah, blah. And it did, right? But, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone was talking about it more or – well, I, okay. I think people are talking about the Xcode 6 issues a lot more than they were talking about the Xcode 4 issues. But they weren't – the Xcode 6 issues really aren't that much worse than the Xcode 4 issues, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It still works. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's my so opinion. So I have a couple ideas here on like how some of this could go better, I think, for Apple. So let's let's go back to um to Marco's posts and where I think he's one of many people who feel like you know marketing's ruling the road here uh, over at Apple and, and is pushing too hard for too much too fast. Right. And and that seems to make a lot of sense to me when I see things like this is the second or third iOS dev- um release in a row where if you were running the bottom end device that supported that version, you really should not have wasted your time installing it because you'll have a worse experience overall. But that got dramatically fixed within a couple months. So the first suggestion I'd have is, well, why don't they say, great, this will be supported back to device X, but device X, your release is targeted for, you know, October or November. Right, assuming that iOS mm-hmm. comes out with a, an iPhone and it's September's. Why not do that? I mean, it's not like you can't still get the marketing push anyways. I mean, the, the big star of the show is the new devices that are coming out, which are the easiest way of getting that fancy new iOS. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then your existing users aren't, you know, kicked in the teeth because they were low on the on the totem pole in terms of prioritization. Understandably mm-hmm. low. But mm-hmm. still, it's like, well, you could have solved this by just not releasing it for them until it was ready for them. And kind of similarly, in terms of bringing back the scope a little bit, I remember back in whenever it was that the, the really disastrous iOS 8 release came out. Was it 8.1? Uh, September, October timeframe. Um, I remember saying, like, hey, this health kit and home kit stuff, um, what's going on with that? Did that really have to be there on day one in September? And, and HealthKit has been, I think, maybe okay. At least I can name some apps and devices that use that. I can't name a single one that uses HomeKit. Couldn't even tell you who's building a HomeKit compatible device. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Wow. CES is okay. this week. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so now that's the case. But they could have just easily released, you know, hey, here's iOS 8.5. It's got all this cool stuff for home. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's wrap it up. And once again, like we do every week, uh, let's go around and see if anybody has any picks. And we'll start again, as we usually do, with Aaron. Have you got a pick? I do. Smash you- Hit. Okay. Smash Hit. It's a game. And aspirational game name, I think. Uh, but it is appropriate because in this uh, game, you are sort of soaring through a 3D space, throwing shiny metal bearings 
ball bearings at Panes of Glass. It's it's a beautifully rendered game um, with very satisfying game mechanics, uh, throwing these balls around. And the idea is to get as far into the uh, 3D environment as you can before you run out of balls. Uh, mm. Along the way, you can collect balls by smashing gems. Um, but every time you hit a pane of glass, uh, you lose 10 balls. And, of course, you lose them when you throw them. But... Um, the environments uh, start off pretty straightforward and easy and get progressively difficult as time goes on. And is there a wonderful glass-breaking noise associated with it? Oh, breaking? yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you're into breaking glass, and who isn't, uh, I would highly recommend this game. <laughs> it's, um, it's free, uh, of course, uh, with an in-app purchase, which is really straightforward. Uh, I believe it's $1.99 just it to is, yeah. unlock all the game modes and to allow you to um, continue from a later stage of the game, uh, it has checkpoints at various points throughout. Um, so for that $2 purchase, you can unlock the entire thing. Um, mm-hmm. But even at free, it's it's just a lot of fun to play. Hmm. Highly recommended. Um, okay, Jaime, do you have anything, any picks for this week? Yeah, my pick is a little bit different. It's called Piscal, and you can go to piscalapp.com. And it's... Um, an online tool that also has offline capabilities, so you can actually download the source. Uh, it's open source for this um, to create pixel art and, and animated sprites. So, pixel art being sort of like the new hotness with everybody thinking about retro, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is oh cool. It's kind of one of those things that kind of tickles me pink, especially because they decided to use Mega Man of all things from the, the Nintendo as their their example there. But I've, I've played around a little bit with this, and I'm I'm not exactly a, a graphic artist, nor am I a sprite artist. But it's pretty simple to to just go in here, start poking around with um, you know a 32 by 32 pixel object, and start changing colors and selecting bits and and making this a different part of a different frame. And it it just works really nicely. I'm, hmm. I'm not a professional at this, so I don't really know if there are better tools than this. But this is free. You can export to animated GIF. Or, you know, you can download the sprite sheets for yourself. So that's, it seems like it'd be pretty handy for somebody who's trying to do something for like Sprite Kit, for example. Sure. Yeah. Hey, who's remembering ResEdit? I was just going to say mm-hmm. ResEdit. That's what I used to use to do this stuff. Hmm. I, used to, I used to love ResEdit. You know, before I was a developer, I used to go in and see how apps were put together and look at the resources and stuff like that. Back in the day. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's a neat, neat app. There's, there's another one like that. Um, Oh, what's his name uh, from Winnipeg? The artist um, who's doing the voxel stuff. Um, I'm talking about Mike Berg from We Heart, yeah, we Heart um, Games. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'd asked him about a hey, Mike. different one. It was um, Magic of Voxel, which is also another free um, open source tool. I think. Oh, so he did because I saw your question to him. He answered, "Is that what, Magic Voxel?" Magic of Voxel. I'll, Magic I'll put a Voxel. link to that for you for the cool. show notes. Yeah, because I because I've seen a few uh, apps like that, like like the. Uh, what's the one you guys have been playing? Um, the chicken one? Crossy Road. Crossy Road? Crossy Road, yeah, yeah. And Aaron, you got 200-something points on that? I kick all the butt. Yep. Wow. Pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah, I had a good game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea how you managed to get that far in that game. Yeah, what is the technique? Like, do you... So some people have said that turning off the audio helps you concentrate. Oh, no, I, I I've love I've gotten a little bit further with doing that. Yeah. Hmm. You know what I do? I, f- I find I'm best when it's uh, using a character that is simple, like the frog, um, mm-hmm. and the daylight, you know, like normal daytime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that um, there are different, like, you know, it generates the courses rather, you know, programmatically. And so you, you're going to get something different every time. Um, there are just some courses that are easier than others. I'm, you know, it's it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have, you know, it's it's true that I've certainly developed um, motor skills that <laughs> aid in <laughs> You've had the time, too, right? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I haven't played lately for some reason. Hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I, I've gotten so far that I, I can actually, like, race cars. You know, like, if I'm in a lane and a car's coming at me, wow. like, I'll actually jump a few squares uh, away from it just wow. to give myself time to get into the next lane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've benefited from in you know employing some sick moves i'm not gonna lie to you mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. you know and that that every once in a while you get into a little jam you know 
Um, and it's your ability to get through those little jams that, uh, that takes you to the next level. Yeah, I think I think if if I got points for smashing the side of a truck, I'd be doing really well at that game. Yeah. So do you do you use it on iPhone or are you using it on iPad? And do you see a difference in whether you're better yes. on one versus the other? Yeah, it's true. Um, definitely find that I'm better on the uh, iPad, and uh, you know I just feel like I can see more on it. You know, mm. and I play it in landscape. Oh, do you get you, you get more? In Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ch- try it. I mean, it's it's fully uh, size class aware, I think, <laughs> because it works in uh, in iPhone, iPad, and landscape and portrait orientations. And if you put it in landscape, um, you can see the entire uh, grid, right? It's right. like if you're if you're in portrait on the iPhone, for example, mm-hmm. then it sort of pans back and forth a little bit to show you the the uh, the limits. You know, you can only go so far left and right, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you have it in portrait or sorry, landscape, you can mm-hmm. see the entire game grid, which gives you a little bit more visibility. Is that, Tim, are you playing yeah, the game? Yes, of course I am. Right. I'm playing in landscape. <laughs> this is the go. hot tips. I had no idea. I always play it in portrait. I had no idea it even worked. Like some kind of animal. I'm killing this game. Look at this. No wonder oh, I'm doing so poorly. Like <laughs> This game didn't teach me how to do it. But <laughs> You know, but it, it kind of was a little aside here. So, um the folks over at the Unconsolable podcast, um, they interviewed at least one of the folks from Crossy Road, mm-hmm. and that thing has been really successful. So they, that person mentioned that they were at liberty to say that it was crossing into the seven figures realm. Wow. wow. And yeah, I heard they said that they could be retiring now if they wanted to. That's amazing, especially because they also mentioned that it took them um, 12 weeks to develop. Oh, I hate these guys already. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is a really good game. <laughs> it, it is good. It's it's pretty polished, and I still um, I still enjoy. I, I paid for maybe one or two characters, but normally I just enjoy the the lottery aspect of yeah mm-hmm. of getting yeah. the free ones. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. yeah, there there aren't a lot of games that I find have good staying power, but this is one of them. Really? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and so far, Smash Hit is turning into that too. By the way. Okay, good to hear. Mark, you had uh, something you wanted to add about AB Audio. I do, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'll continue the theme of me being the resident Apple uh, defender or apologist (laughs) or fanboy or whatever you want to say it. But I want to talk about a a new technology that that Apple rolled out in iOS 8 that I think probably not that many people are are aware of, but it's it's actually really cool. Um, So if you've ever had to do audio in iOS or or OS X, you know that it's, it's... Core audio is is amazingly powerful, and I mean, I mean, really, really uh, a nice piece of technology. But but it's also really gnarly to use. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is based on on just raw C or C plus plus APIs, and and uh, mainly because of you just need the performance. You know, you're getting right in there in the in the audio rendering thread and and looking at real data. You just need the speed to. To uh, mm-hmm. to to do any of that without you know without lagging the system or missing missing audio frames, so uh, so historically um, there was a, the lowest level technology was something called audio units, which were really cool. Also, I mean they're they're basically nodes that you set up that do different things. They can be sources or they can be um, mixers or they can be effects that you kind of wire up in a graph and and you can. Uh, have the audio go through in, in real time and you can, you know, look at what's happening and, and at different points you can tap in and, and you know, create your own effects and whatnot. Um, but again, that that was very hard to use. And, you know, even the, simple, the simple code that's out there, I mean, you know, A-U-R-I-O uh, uh, touch, if you ever tried to dig through what's going there, it's it's pretty complicated stuff. So anyway, long story, but Apple introduced something called AV Audio Engine, which is finally a an objective c wrapper around all this stuff mm. that is actually quite easy to use uh basically you just create an, an av audio engine and you create uh you allocate init nodes and connect them and it's it actually works quite well it's pretty amazing mm. so all the stuff that would take pages and pages of c plus plus code in the old days now you can do in you know four or five lines of code it's it's pretty cool uh mm. there's a, a good talk on it at, at last summer's WWDC, if you go check that out. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been playing with it the last couple of weeks. It's, it's pretty fun to use actually. Now it's not perfect. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's got a couple little warts here and there. Like, 
for example, the the um, the sampling window that the minimum size sampling window that you can set. According to documentation, it's it's very very short. It's you know a few milliseconds or more, you know tens of milliseconds. But in reality, it's it's actually more like 375 milliseconds. So that's a little bit long for doing you know real time audio. But you know there's ways around that, and I see it getting better. So this is something where Apple saw a need. They saw that there, there was a real problem for developers here. I mean, for sure, there was a problem for developers using Core Audio, and they, mm-hmm. they fixed it. So cool. I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, I wonder if it's related to that. There's a technology called PD, uh, which is a, an audio, an open source audio um, thing that um, I saw a talk on at uh, 360i Dev two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And it was about... Um, and it was the same sort of thing. It was you could wire things up and, and create nodes and you know have like a little sampler and then apply, apply an effect or a filter to it yep. and build sound into your app, right? Yep. So was that a, a third party wrapper around audio units? Do you know? No, it, it, it wasn't necessarily in iOS. It was oh, actually okay. something that you you created you created these uh, these files on your on your machine and yep. your Mac, and then you could put them into your app as as uh, as triggers and sounds. And stuff oh, like I see. I wasn't, I see. It was it was really high level stuff, but but it sounds similar, very similar to what you're just talking about, where you can it, it had it had a little very rudimentary in, interface where you could wire things up. Yep. And make connections between things, and then and yep. then you know have have your Mac go. Bing, you know, yeah, yep. or whatever, or beep when you hit the keyboard. Cool. Yeah. So my my uh, pick this week is is completely non uh, development. Well, it is development in a sense. But we got a printer bought simple metal printer for Christmas, and the thing has been printing nonstop since the day we got it. And so I actually printed out an Apple Watch. I think I posted a Vine about that a couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of days ago, I guess. Wow. Um, and that's that's the coolest thing since sliced bread. It's cheaper than an iPad um, to get one, and you basically there's a whole uh, ecosphere of um, 3D uh, models that are out there already. Like if you want to print out a Starship Enterprise or Serenity or, or an Apple Watch, for instance, um, and it just uses like a um, PLA plastic. It goes into like a little heater, and it just you know sits there and. There's four servos in the thing, and it just goes back and forth and prints out your little 3D objects. So if you have any sort of inkling for doing 3D modeling or prototyping, uh, it's really kind of cool. And so you can, if you're doing stuff, I think, Mark, you were talking about building some devices that would augment what you could do with a phone, I guess, a couple of years ago when... when um, yeah, we were, talk, we were talking about the, the you know, low-energy Bluetooth accessories. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like if you wanted to build, like, little cases for stuff, um, this is the kind of thing you could do on, do it on. And, and uh, it's kind of like a printer, but it prints in 3D. It's really cool. Like, you know, that's my pick. It's really cool stuff. I can't wait until they can, like, be like in Star Trek, you know, where they can print me anything. Well, this is the idea. <laughs> this is the idea. Like, you know, Carol calls it her replicator, right? And just basically, mm. you know, Earl Grey tea hot, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, which is the dream. So we, we, we're, we jokingly started up a little 3D printing company on the side, and we'll see how, how it flies. <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> Riverdale 3D, yeah. So <laughs> Next week, we're like, guys, we're doing a show, and Tim's like, nope, I'm off. I'm yeah, on vacation because I'm, I'm super rich. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I guess that's uh, it for the week. And uh, thanks for coming back to hear us. If you're if you're coming back, and if you're new, welcome to our podcast. And so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I think the best spot is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter.com/slash Aaron Bay. I also have a website, Innovative.com. Cool. And Jaime, where can people find you? At Dev of the Hair and Dev of the Hair com on Twitter. And Mark. Mark R at Spamsoft.com. Cool. And uh, once again, I'm Tim Mitra. I am at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's probably the best place to get me, or also on uh, it-guy.com, which is my company website. And uh, that's about it. We'll say goodbye, and more info coming up in the outro. So, goodbye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find the summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about and links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. 
You can also follow and retweet our tweets. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on Patreon.com. You can provide as little as a dollar per month. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. Those release notes um, episodes that you've got, or that Jaime and you have, um, mm-hmm. um, I've already got them queued up to listen to during my trip. So I'm um, looking forward to oh, yeah, having them yet. yet. But uh, yeah. uh, if you want to touch on them, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know if we need more mm-hmm. than a couple of big topics to talk about for this show. Sure. Well, I, the, the next episode of release notes, I don't know if you got that lined up. Um, yeah, I do. I just listen, I listened to it today and it was really good. It was They were talking about, um, it's the two of them talking about how how they price things and how they feel about apps are you know they're just experimental and <clears throat> that kind of stuff. So yeah, actually there was an app I saw the other day that I thought I'm trying to remember what it was, but it, what I liked about it was um, that the guy was charging like nineteen bucks for it. It wasn't you know he wasn't like you know lowballing it. I'm trying to remember what the hell that was, was. it an, a game or hmm. productivity or. Uh, hmm. I haven't seen a twenty dollar like an iOS app. For twenty bucks. Well, ben, Benjamin by by uh, um, Charles Perry. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Medic yeah. software. That's a twenty dollar app. I've actually been looking at some audio apps, and they're all twenty to yeah. forty dollars too. I was I was really oh, yeah. surprised. Um, all all the core. I have I have most of the core apps, and they're all they're all in that range. Yeah, I mean those are sort of the professional ones, but even the just the amateur ones. There was one that was just a really all it all it was was a was an FFT. Uh, fast forward transform to show the frequency components of your, of your audio signal in real time, um, mm-hmm. which I was looking up because I, I was building that for for something. So so anyway, so I was just seeing what was out there on the store and and um, yeah, there's people are selling these things for twenty bucks. I don't know who's buying them, but they're out there. Well, and that's the that's the thing though is like all of the um, uh, Omni Omni apps like Omni Graffle mm-hmm. and um, what are the other ones? Help me out here, Aaron. Um, you mean like the, the big apps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everything from Omni. Yeah. Um, that's the only th- example I can think of of a company that charges yeah. real money for their software. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that, and that was the gist of. Uh, I don't want to ruin your listening to uh, release notes, but that was the gist of the episode that I put up. Eighty five was was he was saying, well, why are people charging like nothing for their software? They put effort into it. They want to keep it going. You know, so what if people don't buy it? Like, what if you know, if you if you have a uh, if your software is good enough and, and it's worth you know twenty thirty dollars, why do you care that everybody doesn't download it? Just because there's millions of people using your phone doesn't mean that's your market, Indeed. right? Okay, I think I found the app I was talking about, but I don't think it's not it's nine dollars, not nineteen dollars. Mm. Dash for oh, iOS. Oh yeah, I bought the hell out of that thing. It's great. What is it's it? It's documentation software. Uh, so it, it downloads documentation. Oh sets. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I have it on the Mac and on iPhone iPod. Okay, that may not may not be the one I was thinking of, but I did, I did stumble across it here. I think I heard about it in a podcast, maybe. <laughs> maybe this one. What's it called? Dash? D-A-S-H? Dash. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. It's like offline viewing, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you download the doc sets from a variety of sources over the web. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, uh, it's invaluable on the Mac because, as I'm sure you're aware, Xcode's documentation viewer is, is uh, it sucks ass. <laughs> <laughs> what the, the quick view on the side? No, I'm talking, talking about the, the actual the full-on doc viewer that you would go to um, if you were to like command click on a method. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate it. But is it is it me or was it better before? Yeah, I remember, oh yeah. I recall it used it to be better. Easy, easier to find. Stuff, yeah, it right? was uh, when X, I think it was Xcode five when it came out, and they they did this new right. doc viewer, and it's um, it's just terrible. Yeah, because I remember I remember showing students how to find, you know, if you wanted to find out about, you know, a UI table view controller, you click on this and it would go over to, and you can actually grab the code pieces and copy and paste them into your app. Yep. And they're much harder to find yep. now, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dash is a really great replacement and it's um uh it's not just for uh, Apple developers. Uh you can get you can mm. get uh documentation sets for hundreds of frameworks and languages. Right, it's terrific. Right. So the the reason I brought it up though is because it's an example of an app that somebody's not selling for a yeah, nickel, yeah. right? They're selling it for ten bucks, yeah. nine ninety nine Canadian or US, 
you know, because it, it has, it's a productivity app, like you said, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, anything that's, uh, that professionals would use in their work, I think you should charge real money for. Yeah. Well, right. yeah, because professionals should pay for it. Exactly. Exactamundo. Yep. Okay. If you do a, uh, do a search on FFT, you'll see a bunch of, FFT, FFT it stands for fast Fourier transform. It's a, Everybody it's a, it's a thing in, 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 in audio and other stuff that it's it's how you get from the time domain into the frequency domain. And of uh, course, Duh. well, Tim, <laughs> you're an audio guy. You know about this stuff. I know. I know a little bit about. Yeah, it. you might have to explain it to so, me. So use, use use smaller words. Look, it's got a Wikipedia article. What else do you need? What FFT? Yeah, fast Fourier transform. Everyone knows it's an algorithm to compute the discrete Fourier transform. It's an inverse. Fourier analysis converts mm. time or space to frequency and vice versa. An FFT rapidly computes such transformations by factorizing the DFT matrix into a product of sparse, mostly zero factors. As a result, fast Fourier transforms are widely used for many applications in engineering, science, and mathematics. Yep. Oh, he's so here. if that doesn't clarify it, I don't know what does. Well, so what the apps are all about is if you want to know what the... Uh, the different components of your audio stream are looking like, like an, uh, an equalizer, an EQ or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. This is what, this is what is happening that tells you that. Um, like when you get that sort of waveform animation sort of thing, you mean? Or? Well, the waveform is usually the time domain. So that's a representation, an electrical representation of the actual audio signal in time. Okay, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But that can be broken down into the various frequency components, you know, the high frequency, low mm -hmm. frequency, whatever. And yeah. that's what you EQ, right? If you want to, if you, you know, on your mixing board, right? When you have the, the, you know, the, the bass treble on the, and the mid range knobs, mm -hmm. right? You're mm -hmm. actually tweaking these components. So, uh. so these apps, all they're doing is taking an audio signal and doing some math on it, which Granted, in iOS, it's not the easiest thing in the world. But the point I was trying to make is that look at the prices on these things. You know, ten ninety nine, four ninety nine, thirteen ninety. Well, that's Final Fantasy. Okay, that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Signal Scope twenty four ninety nine. Audio Tools nine ninety nine. People are selling this stuff for real money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare some they? Of them selling for... How dare they? How dare yeah. they? <laughs> some some of them are priced for get, but it's amazing how well, many people are using the freemium on them too, right? So yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 